Welcome. This is All the Fuck In, a podcast from two entrepreneurs about showing up for social justice in your work. This isn't your typical capitalist-focused entrepreneurial business podcast. There are already plenty of those. We're here because we've been craving voices rooted in activism, justice, and integrity with those values. These are conversations about all things business and entrepreneurship, but from a radical perspective that says we don't have to choose between social justice values and being successful in our work. This won't be a place where we claim to have all the answers. Our intention is to offer guidance and support while also encouraging our listeners to discover and live into more questions. We believe these conversations require ongoing practice and a consistent dedication to unlearning. If you're ready to go all the fuck in on what matters most while creating an abundant life, you're in the right place. And a quick note on our content, we believe self-care is radical and non-negotiable in the work of both justice and entrepreneurship. So some of these conversations include mention of trauma, both from a systemic and often racialized perspective and in relationship to experiences like sexual violence. We hope you do what you need to take care of yourself while listening, even if that means pausing and returning to an episode at another time or skipping it altogether. And we're back today with Megan Nicholson, who is a dear friend, um, and I'm really excited to be staring at, at both of your faces, Lauren and, and Megan, in our Zoom screen. Um, Megan, would you share your name, your pronouns, your social location, your astrology, whatever else you feel inclined to share as you introduce yourself? I'd be happy to. Uh, My name is Megan Nicholson. I use she, her, or they, them pronouns. Um, I am a white, queer, gender expansive, neurodivergent, able-bodied, English as a first language, U.S. citizen, uh, human with lots of privilege. (laughs) And um, I am a Virgo star uh, rising uh, Capricorn rising and a uh, Virgo moon. So I'm like, I can't even help how Virgo I am. I'm very stereotypical Virgo. Everything you hear about, about Virgos, I am all those things. Um, and then, you know, of course the Capricorn, I, I love that. I, uh, when I found out I was a triple earth sign, I was like, Oh, that makes so much sense. Oh. <laughs> um, I've always been told I'm a re- really grounded person, which I I'm also a very anxious person. <laughs> so that to me never really made sense. But as I've gotten older, I uh, can see how I am grounded and also in the way that I connect with all parts of the earth. Like I don't feel more connection to water or to desert uh, or to mountains. Like I love all of it. So um, yeah, that's my astrology. Cool. I love it. Um, love the triple earth thing. I don't know if we've, have we had somebody with the triple earth? I don't think so. I feel like we've had a lot of freaking fire on the show. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> um, so I first, I mean, as all of our guests, it's like, I first met you on Instagram. Like, 
<laughs> but could you, I, when I first met you, I met you as someone who was, um, it felt like in flux from leaving yoga and teaching yoga to a new iteration of your work um, or, you know, as your work was evolving, I would love to hear like, and I know that you also have, have a background as a dancer. If you could share with us a bit about what your background is like, what led you to teaching yoga and what led you to stop teaching. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, it's a long story. That could be like a two hour podcast episode yeah. in and yeah. of itself. I'll try to sum it up, but um, I grew up dancing and uh, in a studio and I actually switched studios a few times, but I danced very competitively. Um, I traveled a lot. Um, I basically lived at the dance studio seven days a week. Um, I'm currently residing on the land that I'm from, which is a uh, stolen Wichita land uh, that we would now know as Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. And uh, dance for me being a queer kid, um, an unknowingly queer kid um, in the Bible Belt um, dance was my safe place. And it was the place where I would, where I was able to connect with other artists and, um, and learn how to express myself and dance as a child was, um, I'm learning as an adult was a spiritual practice for me. Um, so I knew growing up that I wanted to be a professional dancer. So, uh, in the interim of moving to Los Angeles, I went to hair school, um, to have a trade. Um, so that hair has been a part of my life in and out of my life, uh, my entire adulthood. Um, it's currently out of my life and I hope it stays that way. Um, personal preference, <laughs> but, um, I moved to Los Angeles and I started dancing professionally and, um, I, was in companies, uh, which was my favorite work, but it was the work I didn't get paid for. Um, so I was doing, you know, a lot of like background dancing and music videos. I was in so many music videos. Um, I, I eventually made a list of all the music videos I was in, so I couldn't, I wouldn't forget them. Um, but I worked a lot and I got, I got the pleasure of working with, um, incredible artists and artists that I love and, um, meeting a lot of artists and also working with choreographers, um, that I love and respect. Um, however, <laughs> uh, as I got further into the industry, it just felt, um, I felt like I was having to constantly put on a show, um, it felt really, uh, ungrounded, <laughs> not like me. Like I was being, having to be somebody else in order to book work. So I was wearing like really extreme makeup, which is fine, but it's just not who I am. I was wearing like sequined attire, high heel, like thigh high, high heel boots. I mean, just to dance class, you know, it was really extreme and I wasn't, I was having a hard time having like real, uh, connections with other dancers in the community because it felt like everybody had to put on a show and that nobody was really allowed to just be who they were. Um, so I, you know, and this was also through my story is very long. <laughs> this was also in the interim of being in a very abusive, toxic relationship. 
um, that I left the dance industry. So I don't, I might have stuck around a little bit longer or a lot longer had it not been for that relationship. I'm not sure. Um, but I found my way to yoga, actually <laughs> core power, uh, yoga studio, which I'm sure every person has heard of and or taken class there. Um, all the dancers were taking there at the time. It was like the cool place to be. So, um, I started taking yoga there and, um, obviously fell in love with it. Uh, it's not, it's not hard to do. Uh, and I also loved just the connections I was making within the yoga space. It just felt like deeper conversations were a lot easier, um, to have. And, uh, even though the space was so problematic in lots of different ways. Um, so then I, uh, I, I practiced, I think I started practicing in like 2010. Um, and then I went and did my teacher training, uh, in Mexico, uh, also very problematic and, uh, uh, <laughs> so many problematic things. Um, and I, uh, started teaching right after that, but I also was doing hair at the time, um, just to have some sort of stable income. And I was teaching on the side and I just was really loving the connections I was making with people. In fact, one of my first students was uh, a trans woman and I was with her through the process of coming out. And, uh, we, as a studio, were one of the first people and places in her life that, um, affirmed her. Um, and I just felt that yoga was so much more important than doing hair. Um, once again, I was in an, an industry where, um, we, everything was surface level. Everybody was putting on a show and it was just, I, I, I wasn't, I was not well in that space. Um, so I eventually left and decided to start teaching full time. Um, and so I was teaching at multiple studios and doing like the yoga teacher hustle. And then I also did my 300 hour training, uh, through, uh, Wanderlust in Hollywood. And then I started teaching at Wanderlust. Um, and, uh, it wasn't until I started teaching that I really started to realize who was not in the room, which is a privilege in and of itself that I didn't really, uh, think about it before that moment. Um, I myself felt weird because I didn't feel represented, but I also didn't quite know why I felt weird. Um, and, uh, so then I, soon after I started teaching, especially when I started teaching at Wanderlust, I, I just started really inquiring about why, why is everybody here white in smaller bodies, able-bodied cis um, most people straight, um, what, why, and, and then, you know, for other people not to be here, there's a reason and what are we doing wrong and what's going on. So then that just led me on this whole journey. I started teaching a LGBTQ, uh, IA plus yoga class, um, which was like the light of my life it grew to be a really incredible community. Um, and through that space, like the, those students only practiced yoga with me. They didn't go into studios. Um, and part of the class was 
getting to, we had a discussion portion of the class. And so we would do asana, pranayama, meditation practice. And then we would like sip tea and discuss like on a theme for the day. And so I got to hear a lot of people's, um, experience in other wellness spaces and what led them to that space and why they felt affirmed there. And, um, it was really disheartening. (laughs) Um, and then, you know, through that journey of, um, starting entering more and more into social justice, then I started, um, really questioning if I was really teaching yoga and, and then, you know, really just thinking about how there were no, uh, South Asian teachers anywhere or that we knew of, or that were famous or that we would, you know, would be our teachers. Um, everybody I was learning from was, was white. Um, and so then I started down a path. I found, I found Susanna Barkataki along that time. And then the yoga is dead podcast came out and I was like, this is everything I've been looking for. So that really helped me on, on my journey of study. And then I also started working with my anti-racist mentor, um, Constanza Eliana Chinea and, um, I started working one-on-one with her. And so we started to unpack, um, the ways in which my study of yoga and the ways in which the way I practice and teach yoga, we're going to have to shift in order for me to honor the practice. Um, and I just felt so, um, every way that I learned yoga was disrespectful. Right. And so, um, it, was going to require a major course correction, um, for me. And there was something else that was calling me. I just, um, I was so fed up with just the yoga industry in general. I'd also done a lot of work in the studios that I was in about, you know, trying to advocate for, for all the things that were, you know, that needed to change and for the people that weren't able to be in that, in those spaces safely. Um, I was just fed up. And so I just, uh, I stopped practicing. I stopped practicing yoga. I started moving back into dance actually. Um, and rediscovering my dance as my spiritual practice. And, um, and then it just kind of, and then I just felt more and more called to focus solely on the, on the LGBTQI plus community. And then I noticed that I was just naturally educating a lot, um, and that I loved doing it. And so then the doors just kind of flooded open. <laughs> and, um, for the first time in my life, I felt like I had so much clarity about what I'm, uh, where my, where I can use all these gifts that I have. And not only that, but make actual, um, change. So that's, like I said, stories long. <laughs> so that's how I ended up here. So, yeah. And tell, oh, go ahead, Lauren. Oh, I was just going to say like every single guest, when we ask a question like that goes, that was really long, but like, we're all messy, complicated people who took our own paths to get here. Like it's always going to take a minute. So no worries at all. Thank you. (laughs) Tell us, so you're now doing, I want to hear you phrase it though. I, I want to hear you say what you're doing, why you call it, what you call it, mm-hmm. um, and what it looks like right now for you. 
I'm always playing with the wording of it. Um, I, I either call it, uh, in the past few weeks, I've been calling it in uh, LGBTQI, LGBTQIA plus inclusion and affirmation education. Um, previously I'd been calling it LGBTQIA plus inclusion and validation, um, education. And, um, I wish I could just use all three words without people being like, wow, that's so many words. Um, I feel like the only reason why I use the word inclusion is because without it, people don't know what it is. Um, and I feel like inclusion is the most, uh, superficial of the practice. <laughs> um, but I will say, I love using the word validation when I can, because while I'm teaching, uh, cis and straight folks, how to, um, affirm queer and trans folks, um, in that same time, at that same moment, through the exact same education, uh, queer and trans folks in the space are being validated and affirmed in their experiences and their identities. Um, so I've just found that so incredible. And um, it's really important to me that I'm holding the space for both um, because both are a part of the work of liberation, right? We want to, we have to educate folks um, who do not have this as a lived experience, but then we equally need uh, the people that do to be uplifted and affirmed and supported and just to know how fucking magical they are. Okay. <laughs> so it's really important to me that I'm, I'm holding the container for both of those things. Um, so yeah, that's, that's the way I, I phrase it for now. Um, I focus predominantly in like the wellness and dance industries, uh, just because that's my experience, but I'm kind of being pulled into all sorts of different directions and I'm open to wherever I need to be. So I don't say no to opportunities if it's outside of the wellness or dance industries. Um, if they need me there, I'm there. So. So you're doing group learning spaces. You're teaching in group learning spaces. Mm -hmm. My understanding is you're also doing one-on-one -on -one work of some kind. Is that true? I was exploring that. Um, it doesn't quite excite me as much as the group learning spaces. Um, I have an option for, uh, like, a, I guess I'll, I'm about to change the name to it, to pick my brain hour long sessions. And I have the option for allies, um, to book a session with me through that. And I also have the option for queer and trans folks who maybe need some affirmation and validation that I'm about to uh, make as a, on a pay as you can basis. Um, so those are, that's kind of the only one-on-one -on -one work that I'm excited to be doing, <laughs> but not like in a way that's a ongoing, I'm, I'm really feeling called more to create community oriented learning spaces and, and growing spaces. And can I ask a clarifying question about the group work? Um, and it sounds like, so this is the space, both allies and LGBTQIA plus folks mm -hmm. in one space. Yeah. Oh, okay. And yes. is that tricky to navigate? Like, so I, I co-teach an anti-racism course with our friend, Charlie Red, and we find it challenging to like, for example, with the white folks in the space who might be brand new to the work, how to reduce harm. Obviously it's not possible to totally eliminate it, but for the <laughs> folks of color in the space. So is there, does that come up for you as a challenge um, for people who might be really new to the work and have no idea? <laughs> what's going on. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a really big responsibility for me as a facilitator in the space. 
So I do a few things and this has been like both trial and error and also within study, uh, reading the pedagogy of the oppressed was really helpful for me and, and, uh, framing, you know, the, uh, or creating the framework of, of what it is that I do, but I, um, give queer and trans folks in the space, the autonomy to speak up for themselves if they've been harmed and, um, if in fact I miss something or, you know, so I, I give the freedom to where it's not all on, on me. I want them to know that this space is theirs too. Um, I also give them the freedom and I, and Tristan does this in, in their workshops too, where they can, you know, chime in and share their own experiences at any time during the workshop, if, if they wish to share. And I find that those, um, two things are really helpful, just giving them that freedom to where they don't just have to sit there and take it and remain silent, that they can have the autonomy to do what they need to take care of themselves. Or, you know, I give them the option to message me privately and, um, I'll address it. Um, so there's that. And then I also, um, when people, you know, because there are absolutely new learners always in that space, that's why that space is created, right? It's, it's important for them to be there. Um, but the way they may phrase questions or, um, and things might be really harmful. So in that space, I use that as a teaching moment of, um, I understand what you're asking, but the way you said it is really problematic. Here's why, here's how, how you would say it instead. Um, so it's a, it's a, it, it might be easier to have two separate spaces, but like I said, it's, um, it's equally as affirming and validating, uh, for queer and trans folks as it is, um, you know, educating for, for cis and straight folks. So, um, it's just always a practice of finding that balance. And I, and I do let people know, like the, you know, queer and trans folks are, are centered in, in my spaces. Um, they come first and not only that, the most marginalized of the queer and trans folks in my space, um, are, are, are centered and, and, um, you know, I will do my best to protect. Um, and like Tristan always says too, like we can never guarantee safety. Right. Um, so in these spaces, you have to walk in knowing that you may experience harm. Um, but I do my best as I, the best that I can as a facilitator to interrupt it whenever it does happen, because I don't, I also don't want, um, learner, new learners in the space to feel held back from asking questions. So I always say like, no questions are stupid questions, but if you, you know, say it in a, in a way that is harmful, we're going to unpack that together and use that as a teaching moment. So I just kind of lay the groundwork, uh, from the beginning and just kind of give everybody a heads up of where we're headed. It's in my, like, I always do like an, a list of expectations and a list of agreements, uh, before we get started. And I've just found that to be incredibly helpful all those, all those tools. Thank you for sharing all that. Cause I know a lot of folks who listen are either space holders of some kind of facilitators. And that is, I feel like I'm never going to stop learning about how to do that. Yeah, <laughs> it's better. hard. It's really hard. It's really fucking hard. Um, yeah. And I also, I think what's really cool though, about folks being in the same space is like, then you're fostering relationships too. And the work is, I don't know if it's necessarily deeper, but to me, it feels deeper. Um, so anyway, yeah. Yeah, no, it's, I think it's so far so good. <laughs> My space is like, I think it really works. Um, and, um, 
yeah, I, I get messages afterwards from the new learners uh, just of how much they learned and how grateful they are. And then I get messages from queer, trans and non-binary folks that are like, oh my God, I feel so, I felt so affirmed. That felt so good, you know? So I, I think it works. If I ever have to change it, I will, but for now it's good. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> I just love it so much because I didn't realize that I was doing that too until very recently when I started getting the same messages. And, and I was like, there was a part of me that was like, why would queer and trans folks want to come to my workshop? Like, why mm -hmm. are they here? And then why are they signing up for the next one too? And I, and it's like, then I have to wonder, well, why am I signing up for all the trans yoga project seminars and trainings? Well, it's because I'm, I'm not just learning about ways to talk about this that I haven't yet experienced, um, but I'm also being affirmed and, and that mm -hmm. feels really powerful. And I just didn't realize that I was offering that too until I saw you putting it into that language. And then it was mm -hmm. like, oh, this is what is going on. I just didn't even realize I was doing it, you know? Um, yeah, I just really appreciate highlighting that um, you're, you're doing both the inclusion and the affirmation validation work. And yeah, inclusion is a, a tricky language. Rebby did a really good job of talking about wanting to be, have a seat at the table, quote unquote, and then wanting to flip the table over and then wanting to get rid of the table and go sit in a park and like how the whole metaphor of being included at the table is just really messed up. And, and yeah, anyways. Um, yeah. I'm hoping to have different language for it or that like we as a whole community will have different language that everybody understands what it is. Um, I would really like to let go of that word because, yeah. uh, but for now I use it because people are like, we know what that is. DEI. You know, so. <laughs> and to me, I, I mean, we, Megan and I have lots of um, phone conversations and voice message exchanges in particular over the last couple of weeks, especially, but we've cultivated a relationship of checking in with one another. And one of the things that we're talking about is like where Megan sees their work going um, and the degree to which the work is rooted in affirmation and validation. Would you like to share a little bit about what you're envisioning for the, the future? Yeah. Um, so I've always considered myself and for lack of a better word, um, a healer. Um, it's been a natural part of who I am since I was a kid. Um, I be, I, I don't say that very often because, uh, that word comes with the, like, that's not really a word that you give yourself, <laughs> you know, and it's a, it's a, that's a sacred word and comes with a lot of responsibility, but, um, for lack of a better phrase, uh, so I, you know, I love the education that I do in the spaces that I hold as is, but I'm also feeling really called to use the gifts that I have around all the wellness tools and how they've helped me on my journey of coming into knowing of who I am and affirming myself. And, um, especially right now being in Oklahoma and not being affirmed by anybody around me, you know, so, um, I have to really use these practices to do so for myself. So, I eventually, <laughs> I have to do some more work on myself first before I can fully hold this space. But I really envision being sort of like what I would call now a, a gender coach. Um, 
or a gender consultant, I've seen it called, um, I'm feeling like, and I'm seeing more and more people start to step into that work. And it's so exciting because it's so needed. Um, so I did, I actually did a session with a gender consultant and, um, I'm seeing people develop programs and stuff. So I really envision it as a group, uh, a group program. I've actually already written that an, an outline for it. And, um, I'm kind of taking myself on the, on the journey of it first before I lead it. Um, but yeah, like I said, you know, that, that the work of liberation is twofold of, you know, we need our allies and accomplices, but we also need the people who have for so long been disenfranchised to be uplifted um, and to also be free to know who they are and to express who they are. Um, so I want to hold both of those spaces. It feels really, really important to me. And um, there's also something, uh, I was talking about this with my business coach earlier. There's something really energizing about being in a whole space of queer and trans folks and focusing on like, their own, uh, liberation and, and it's very energizing. Whereas the other work that I do can sometimes be very draining because it is emotional labor. Um, so I'm hoping to, and then hopefully by the end of the year, have it, have that program out. Um, and, uh, yeah, cultivating that community, uh, space and taking folks on a journey that hopefully coming out of it, they would have more knowledge of who they are within their gender and gender expression. And, um, and then also feel more confident to be who they are, where, where it's safe to, to do so. Can you share a little bit about what your journey has been like and what you're, mm -hmm. where you are currently in relationship to gender curiosity? Yeah. Um, the journey has been <laughs> a <laughs> roller coaster. Um, I, uh, it was important to me to talk about this on this podcast because I'm trying more and more to talk about it, even on my Instagram of uh, being more open about the process of it. Um, cause I was telling Tristan and Lauren earlier, how we only hear of the, who the person thought they were. And then now they're, you know, now they know they're they're this person. And we never really hear about the in-between, um, which is really important for people to know about. So you can be affirmed in your process. Um, but it hasn't been easy. <laughs> I think I've been on some sort of gender journey. Well, you know, in some sense, our whole lives. Right. But, um, in an awareness of it, probably the past nine months. Um, and it's been moments really, uh, liberating and exciting and in moments really terrifying. And then, uh, it tends to trigger, I have OCD. Um, so it tends to trigger my OCD quite a bit, um, to where I feel like I'm an imposter, which I know is like a pretty, uh, real experience for most trans folks. Um, and then I feel like I'm taking up space where I shouldn't be. Um, and even though deep down, I'm like, well, it just makes so much sense. I've been like the biggest trans ally my whole life, <laughs> you know? And then it, nine months ago is whenever I started waking up to the fact of like, oh, I think I get so fired up because I'm also being harmed in, in these, in these acts. Um, so that's kind of where the wake up started to happen. So I, I know that um, 
there's a, a reason why I'm on this journey. I also have um, ancestry, uh, Native American ancestry that I'm working on to reclaim. Um, and so I'm doing a lot of work with my ancestors and through, uh, I work with a, a medium and um, I have like my own spiritual practices around it, but I have, I have met two that I know of two spirit ancestors. And so it feels like a very um, spiritual thing and a very sacred thing. Um, but I find myself sometimes wanting to know, I just need to know what am I like, what's the label? Um, and then I'm also at the same time in the space of like accepting that I may never have a label. And also that's exciting because gender is so much more expansive than labels. Um, so yeah, it's like confusing and exciting and terrifying and, um, thinking about coming out again, if, if I ever chose to like, especially within my family is really scary because the first time was not fun. Um, so yeah, it's just like all the feels all the time. And, you know, I think it, this is pretty normal too. If you think about it every day, like you're in the process of it every day. And not only that, I'm like realizing everywhere I go and I'm assumed to be a woman or a girl or a female. And I hear those words and it's just like, ooh, ooh, over and over and over and over and over again. Um, we can't help, but just be in that experience all the time. Yeah. And I, I don't know if you two would use this word, but to me, like that's a form of gaslighting too. Even if the person calling you those labels is completely unaware of your identity and what you're going through. Like, and I appreciate you um, sharing about how the journey and like the messiness of it and the lack of certainty um, triggers the OCD. Cause that, that's right. what I, as someone who is like cisgender, like that's what I can like wrap my head around, I guess. Yeah. Um, because I, I can understand that need for like, like for a while for me, it was, I want a diagnosis or I want to like, I want to know, was that sexual assault or was that something that like, there's so many, um, moments where I think even people without OCD, like if we don't have a capital A answer, we can't be with the thing. Like our culture does not teach us to do that. And so, right. um, I, I hope that for anyone listening who maybe hasn't thought about a gender, journey of discovery this way before is like really hearing what you're saying. Cause I know for me, it's helping me understand and like, just connect the dots a little bit more. If that yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I wish for everybody to go on their own gender journey. Um, we need everybody to go on their own gender journey. Um, cis folks need to liberate themselves from the roles and the norms that don't serve them anymore either. Um, so yeah, I'm hoping to you know, once I, I don't know, just gather more tools and get more clarity about who I am, that I will have the capacity and the tools that I need to hold space for, for others who are on that, on, on that journey. I just keep thinking how lucky those students are going to be in that first round of your group program because oh you're doing all this wait. work. Yeah. Yeah. I can't, I can't wait. Writing the outline was really exciting. And I looked at it and I was like, wait, I haven't done all this on myself. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like a firm believer. If you, you have to practice what you have to practice, what you preach, right? Like, and when we teach these things, you have to be practicing it or you have to have like the only way you can teach is from experience. Right. So, um, so yeah, so I was like, okay, we're gonna, um, 
just set that white supremacist urgency aside (laughs) (laughs) and just be in the, my own, my own journey, my own gender journey. I'm also a type of person where I constantly am thinking about how I can support and help others. And a lot of times, um, I neglect myself right in that. And so I'm trying to get better about, um, centering my wellness first, um, which will then help me be better to serve others. Mm-hmm. Classic space holder slash healer problem. Yeah. <laughs> it really is it super really classic. Is. <laughs> and I do think, you know, the gaslighting piece, the like societal level gaslighting piece around gender is so real. And I, I definitely feel that come up in my experience too, that if I'm, if I'm mammed or, or she'd a bunch of times over, you know, whatever, I start to second guess myself. Um, and I've written mm. about that too on social media a little uh, in terms of like, anytime somebody she's me, I think, well, maybe she is fine. And it's like, no, no, I've already established that she isn't fine. <laughs> like, why am I second guessing this? Um, <clears throat> yeah, it, it makes it really difficult to be in that gender journey, right? Like, I feel like I get kind of pulled out of it a little bit every time that I'm called something that I'm not. Um, yeah. And then that OCD just, you're absolutely right, Lauren. It's, it, it gets triggered by the lack of uncertainty. Um, yeah, it makes a gender journey very, a lot more difficult than it needs to be. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know if this is helpful, but I feel inclined to share that my therapist always tells me when I bring this up to her that, um, when I start second guessing my pronouns, for example, she'll be like, well, in my experience, people who, who transition to using they, them pronouns are pretty fucking clear that they want to transition to using they, them pronouns for a reason. Like, like, it's not like you just like overnight came up with this like willy nilly and suddenly you've changed a core part of your identity to feel more in line with who you are. Like you went through a process just like you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's such a good point. I love your therapist. <laughs> uh, yeah, she's good. She's good. Um, I just feel grateful that I can keep seeing the same therapist through my transition, as it were, mm. um, and that she gets it. Like, she still she's me on occasion. She still flips up. She called me girlfriend the other day. But like, and she's a she's a lesbian, and so and she's also an an educator, and so I know that she's worked with a lot of trans folks. I know that she works with queer folks in general. I feel quote unquote, safe with her, if safe is a thing. Um, And when she, and this is the other thing that's coming up for me a lot that I'm, I'm, it's like with certain people, when they misgender me, it's fine. And it's partly because of that particular relationship out in the world with a random person. Sometimes it's also fine because I'm never going to see them again they, you know what I mean? But there are most of the time it's not fine, but like, depending on the relationship is what I'm saying. And so when yeah. my therapist girlfriended me the other day, I was like, it's fine. You know? <laughs> um, with my mother, it's not fine. Right. <laughs> but she's, but my mother also isn't doing the deeper work to like transition her understanding of me. So. Right. And she consistently <laughs> is consistently not doing the work. Whereas somebody like your therapist is doing the work and then slips up, you know, which is set. We're so conditioned yeah. like the undoing yeah. it's, it's habitual thinking. And I always say that, you know, when we misgender some, someone it's coming from a, it's rooted in assumption 
right? And like, so really what we have to get rid of is the way that we assume, um, which will then shift our language. And um, that shit is so ingrained in us. (laughs) It's hard to get rid of. Um, I'm even still working on that within, within myself. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, and kind of along this line, like what I'm hearing from both of you is that there's, it all comes down to what the relationship is with a person who might fuck it up sometimes. And like, there's also a difference between someone fucking it up who is in the deeper work and someone who's not. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, cause where I was going to go with this was like, if you all wanted to give a brief nod to, uh, what the fuck has happened the last two weeks and just, but how, how that's an example of everything else that we're talking about and, and yeah. harm that happens every single day. We also don't yeah. have to. No, I think it's, it's, uh, because it was recent, right. Um, uh, the infamous Jay Brown and Kachi Ananda yoga podcast episode. I'm going to put yoga in quotations because it wasn't yoga. It was nowhere near yoga. But um, uh, I, the way I keep talking about that episode is that for uh, trans and non-binary folks, that was 90 minutes of gaslighting. Um, I mean, lots of other things too, but uh, essentially it was just, continuous gaslighting. And I listened to almost the whole thing because I wanted to have all the contacts I could to be able to then decide how, what I needed to do to support my community. Um, uh, but it, uh, in the interim, (laughs) as I'm trying to support others, like I, it took me a few days to realize how I had been harmed. Um, and being gaslit is like OCD's playground. It loves that shit. So uh, my personal experience was from that episode, I started questioning if I was actually trans or, and then my brain started to tell me that I was actually a cis person that was pretending to be trans and non-binary and that, um, I was going to have to come out as cis and then have let a bunch of people down and have taken up space in, in a place where I'm, I'm, uh, you know, uh, that's not my identity. And which is God, it attacks all the things that are really important to you. Right. Um, like that's my worst nightmare because, you know, I, it took me some time before I could say, yeah, I'm not cis. I may not have the exact words for what I am, but I know I'm not cis. So I feel good in spaces with trans and non-binary folks. Um, but in the, in, in that spiral, after listening to that episode, I couldn't find that clarity. Like it just, um, OCD as a, whenever it gets triggered, feels really, really real. Um, Oh my God. Yes. So real. <laughs> like, like more yeah. Real than anything. Yeah. yeah. And you know, Lauren, you were saying before we started recording that everybody thinks, you know, OCD is just about like washing your hands a bunch and being, um, people will often use it to say that they're organized, which I would say, please stop <laughs> saying it's my OCD whenever you don't have OCD, because this shit is horrendous. And, um, it's misused a lot. I hear it a lot in yoga spaces. So just stop 
um, side note. And um, shit, I got excited about that. Now I lost my train of thought. I mean, you were talking about the 90 minutes of gaslighting you experienced and listening to that podcast. Yeah, but um, oh, I was just saying that, you know, we all we we've all been taught that OCD is this thing. But really what it is, is that it's these ruminations. It's your your brain gets caught in a loop that sometimes turns into what we would call compulsions, um, which uh, is what we see outwardly. Uh, for me, I don't have outward compulsions. My compulsions are the loop, the looping, the thinking. Um, and, uh, like I've actually been diagnosed with OCD. I went to the OCD clinic in Los Angeles. Thank God for that place. I received a lot of, uh, tools and care that I use today. And, um, but usually my spirals last about 24 to 48 hours. This one for me lasted two weeks, two full weeks every day, all day, every day. Um, and so <laughs> When we say that that episode was harmful, this is what we mean. Um, as trans and non-binary folks, we're not only outwardly vulnerable, we're not an, only an outwardly vulnerable population, meaning that we are um, more, especially, you know, those of us who um, aren't assumed to be cis, um, we're more apt to experience violence, um, covertly and overtly. Uh, but we're also inwardly vulnerable. Um, so, and that episode was, uh, <laughs> to me, it was overt violence. <laughs> like it, 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 you know, usually covert, uh, discrimination happens. And even with the, the person who is doing the harm without them really being aware of it or knowing, um, and this felt like, uh, that Kachi knew exactly what she was doing. And, um, and then to be met with, um, two weeks of being in contact with, with Jay and him defending her and refusing to take down the episode after I am telling him over and over again that cisgender folks have no way of knowing how much harm something like this causes and also explaining to him that how this rhetoric turns into the 82 bills that we are, the anti-trans bills that we are seeing um, pop up all over the nation. Um, and then him Anyways, I, I could really get into it, but all that to say, it was just like, it's just been two weeks of being gaslit. I mean, and harmed, really harmed. Um, so, um, my OCD was triggered. Yes. And I came out of it, uh, probably starting on Monday this week. It's now Wednesday. Um, and, but I, now I'm experiencing like, um, some, some depression, like a little bit of a crash. Um, <laughs> so yeah, really important that people are calling sh everything that you can in and out and also doing the work on yourself and, and being a part of, um, you know, like calling your, the legislators in all the different States where these bills are going on, like doing the work, taking responsibility for how, um, 
anti-transness has turned into um, potential legislation. Um, you know, there's so much that needs to go into this work, um, but it's it's really urgent. And that, and it makes me sad that, you know, like I'm cis assumed, I have that privilege. And so I'm not experiencing that kind of harm every single day. Um, but a lot of our trans siblings are. Um, and it makes me so sad because I mean, for lots of reasons, right. But the world I'm, I envision that I see is that we can just walk out and be ourselves and not have to worry about that. You know, um, it's just so sad that, you know, all marginalized folks just ha are, ha this is just part of their daily lived experience. Mm -hmm. And something Tristan and I talked a little bit about last week is how fucked up it is that, you know, for you two as the one, as two people who were harmed by what happened and are harmed all the time by this shit that you're doing all this labor um, while the people who actually fucking up in some cases aren't taking the call in and aren't doing the work themselves. And, and that's what we see over and over with marginalization. Like that's how it functions is the people who are hurt end up hurting even more because they end up having it. It's like that meme that goes around every once in a while. Like, those of us in therapy are in therapy because other people won't fucking go to therapy. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Like we're at, we're at like doing the work for people who just won't do their own work. Um, yeah. And I, I also want to say for anyone listening, like, please don't go look up this episode that we're referring to. Hey, don't give that thing any more play in the algorithm because he won't take it down. And until he does, he's giving hate a platform. And I also wanted to underscore what you said, um, Megan, about these bills, because it's not um, like transphobia and, and these kinds of conversations having platforms are feeding things like in Arkansas, what just happened this week. I don't know when we're releasing this episode, but um, we're talking in early April. And so in Arkansas, they just became the first state to ban trans affirming healthcare for people under 18, which is like that kind of care, if anyone doesn't understand who's listening, like that's what prevents self-harm, suicide. I mean, th this isn't um, just people's like, th this isn't fluffy stuff at all. Um, this is people's lives and their experiences. And it's everything that you're hearing Megan and Tristan explain. And they, also you two shouldn't have to fucking do this. You shouldn't have to <laughs> explain your experience. Um, for others to get it. So I'm just, I'm really grateful to both of you for the work that you did. I mean, that you do all the time, but especially over the last two weeks. And, and I hope that, you know, moving forward, you're able just to take care of yourselves and, and that's it. Right. Like, unless you decide to do more. Um, yeah, I think as of this week, we both talked about taking a step back. Yeah. Uh, we've done all that we can do for now. Um, and other people are, are still taking action and I appreciate that so much. And, um, I stand beside all my trans and non-binary siblings that are still, um, in the work with this specific, uh, situation. Um, and I support them from the sidelines, but I'm so done. Um, and then there's also, you know, like how, how, how we have to beg for somebody to listen and to try to understand, you know, like what I kept saying to Jay was when the people who have been harmed come forward to tell you they've been harmed. And this wasn't one person, which you should absolutely listen to just one person, but it was a whole community that's 
expressing like, how in the world could you know, you know? And so it, and, and then that being met with apathy, um, after I pour my heart out, like my last email to him, the, the subtitle, the title of it was pleading, pleading. I had to beg him to take that episode down, pour my heart and soul into an email. And then it was met with some utter bullshit. Um, that's harm, right? Um, essentially what that tells me is you don't care. Um, and that's hurtful. That's so, I mean, that just like breaks my heart over and over again. Um, so I really hope that, you know, everybody will moving forward, be really, really be in the work, not just learning inclusive language, um, supporting mutual aid for our black trans siblings that need fucking housing and food, um, calling every single legislator in every single state that has these, these bills, um, you know, like really doing all the work, um, not just learning the language. That's just the surface. Right. Um, so anywho. Yeah. (sighs) (laughs) (laughs) and i'll um i'm not gonna ask you two to tell people like specific actions to take we'll make sure that in the show notes they're all linked um and as well as to workshops and stuff that you both have coming up so that you know if anyone's sitting here like oh fuck i have a lot of learning to do um, yeah (laughs) we all do that's the thing is like we all need to be in this learning um all of us need to be learning how to understand other people's experiences yeah and to respect them. And, you know, the begging thing is so fascinating because there have been moments where I feel like I'm begging all the time to, to be seen and referred to in the ways that I want to be seen and referred to. Um, and it's exhausting. Um, and then to, to have to fight on top of it to address overt harm and violence in the yoga community of all places, it, it, it's exhausting. Um, yeah, we're still recovering. Um, yeah, as you can hear in our voices, we're I still know. recovering. <laughs> it's really, um, I think as of yesterday, I've just gotten into a place of extreme sadness. Extreme. Um, I still have a lot of hope, but um, the damage has been done, right? Like you can't take it back. Um, and not only that, like... <laughs> transphobia isn't new to the yoga world. Um, this episode just opened a lot of people's eyes, um, which I'm grateful for. Um, I'm sad that it came at the detriment of an episode that won't be removed. Um, and that it's spreading false information that a lot of people are believing. Um, so that's sad, but, um, I really hope that those of you who, you know, woke up from that situation that you, it's not just like, um, a moment where you did the things you were supposed to do in that moment. And then you leave the work. Um, let this be a wake up call that catapults you into being, um, more than just an ally to our community. Um, cause it's really urgent. Yeah. Accomplishment isn't a bunch of check boxes. Right. Although there are things you should be doing. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> I always say, yeah, like definitely there are some boxes to check and like, that's not it. Um, 
And I, I also, um, for folks listening, want to make sure, you know, like another episode got put up presenting what he's calling quote unquote, the other side, like that's still fucked up. Like just to be very clear of the nuances of this, like as long as that old episode is still up, like it's again, hate still has a platform. So, um, yeah, just whatever we can do to keep the learning going and keep, um, directing care and resources towards trans folks, especially the most marginalized trans folks is, is really important. Yeah. Yeah. But the whole like trans day of visibility is one day thing, but like, come on people, you know? Um, (laughs) Yeah. Is there anything (laughs) you want to share as we wrap up on that note? Like, if you want to share anything that that you haven't gotten to say, um, you know, want to talk about your dog like what like oh like, my gosh oh, this dog she's laying next to me right now but I adopted a, I will happily talk about my dog because she brings me so much joy thank you Tristan for that no segment. problem I got you um I adopted a dog about two months ago her name is Shira everybody pronounces her name wrong it's fine um her pronouns are she her um but she is uh such a silly she's really starting to come into her personality, like as she gets more acquainted with me and comfortable with me. And, um, she's hysterical. She just like, she has this really goofy personality and she's also really defiant. (laughs) Like she really likes to, um, run away from me. I let her go off leash a lot. She's quite athletic and, um, I'll try to get her to come back to me and she'll use that as an opportunity to go chase a squirrel or a deer or a bird. (laughs) She's, and, uh, I found out last week she likes to play in the water. Um, so I'm just enjoying learning, getting to learn more about her every day and just seeing her little personality come out. And, um, I also was, uh, we went quite on the health. We were on a health journey. Um, I think I've seen the vet eight times in two months. Um, so that's been a lot, uh, worrisome for her, but also uh, very expensive for me. <laughs> And worrisome for you. Yeah, well, worrisome for me, of course. Yeah. I, uh, that's what I meant. Like, I've been so worried about her health at the same time, um, depleting my bank account. But now she's she's doing she's doing really good. So yeah, what she's kind my. Of dog is she? She's like um, she's a scrappy little mutt. She I don't is. know. Yeah, I was, I was looking at pictures like. I see a little pit bull, maybe, like maybe yeah. some Rottweiler, maybe yeah. some lab. Who, yeah. Yeah. When I got her, they, they said she was a lab pit mix, but I feel like at some point I'll probably do the, the test. The test. The yeah. Test. The test. I would just like to know. I've also done, there's like a, a dog scanner, uh, app and it like scans a bunch of photos of your dog and then it'll come up with like the percentage oh. of what they are. Yeah, like how accurate is that? Probably not at all, but I've enjoyed using it. I'm totally um, going to do it though. <laughs> you should. It's really cool. But it says that she is part, um, Boston terrier. Like she's like mostly Boston terrier and Staffordshire terrier, and then a little bit of pit and then rest like 40% mutt. Um, but she has this like goofy little, little donkey kind of body. Like she has like short, like she's just, she has the, the, the body of a donkey. And I was like, Oh, that makes sense. Boston Terrier. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so. that's actually what I, th- what I saw in her face when I was scrolling through your photos, then I saw another photo. I'm like, Oh, that's not at all. I don't know. I was so confused. Yeah. She's on I, her own, like breed journey, I guess. Yes. <laughs> I'm also she's thinking so own. much about the fact that we assign them 
gender based on their genitalia and like I think I, mean, about that a lot. I made a joke about it in a training I taught recently and then I felt like maybe it wasn't appropriate for me to joke <laughs> about assigning a gender to my dog like and assuming <laughs> my dog uses she her pronouns but like can we just talk about how we're making these assumptions about dogs gender identities like I know I just wish they could tell us I know <laughs> who are you tell okay me. is there anything else you want to share Meg, oh yeah I do want to share yeah about my Patreon yes, because it's please. a community learning space that I'm incredibly excited about that. Um, I'm just really working on building. So it's um, meant to be like a deeper, more intimate space, a uh, spinoff of my Instagram page. So I share a lot of content on my Instagram page. It's like, I do a lot of research. I spend a lot of time and energy making the content there. Um, in the Patreon community is where we really implement that learning, right? So we unpack things together. Um, I, we have a monthly accountability call um, where you can make a plan for yourself for that month of goals. Um, Cause it's really hard to be like an accomplice without goals, right? We need goals. Um, and then I do like some Q and a sessions and stuff. Um, so it's really just meant to be a space where you can really unpack and really learn and in community and, and with a lot of support. Um, so yeah, I always say it's like for people who are really committed to the work, um, that's really who I want it to be for. And it also not to like, I'm just going to speak the thing. Uh, it also helps pay me for all the labor I put into, um, the content I create for my Instagram, which I do freely. Right. And, um, there's this thing that we need to do where we start normalizing paying people for emotional labor. Right. Um, and while like, no, you know, we, we all know that Instagram is a free space. Um, and so I don't expect to be paid for everything I put on there, but it's, it's a capitalistic thing that I have to do in order to get people to show up to other things. So if you want to also practice anti-capitalism, then you can join my Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> and Patreon, if, if anyone's not familiar too, like Patreon's so cool because it's super relational. Like you can find ways to actually make connections with people and it's not just here's my content, receive it. Like it's people really yeah, like we can, the creator, which is cool. Yeah. We can interact. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we will link to Patreon, your Patreon in the show notes um, awesome. and your Instagram and your website and all the things. Um, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, y'all. This was like a part of my, the self-care I needed today. So it's been Aww. so awesome. Thank you for having me. Thank you, May. And thank you for sharing as much of yourself as you yes. did when all of it is still both in the gender journey piece and the recent um harm and trauma piece, like really, really tender. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you for, yeah. thank you for letting me. Thanks for holding the space. All the fuck in is independently produced by your hosts, Tristan Katz and Lauren Roberts to help us keep bringing you new episodes on all things, social justice and entrepreneurship. You can donate over on our website at all tfnpodcast.com. That's a L L T F I N podcast.com. Your donation supports original content that promotes social justice and individual and collective change. A portion of our proceeds benefits a radical organization of our choosing each month. Any amount is helpful and greatly appreciated. Okay. <laughs>
Death, 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 death